Hello, I'm Tara Ruckman. And I'm Stephanie Howe, and we are Control the Chaos EDU. Are you burnt out? Are you feeling frustrated or overwhelmed? Or maybe it's the opposite, and you're a go-getter and want to level up. Then it's time to dive in with real talk and solution-focused conversations. Hello and welcome to the conversation today where we are going to be trying to control your back to school, (laughs) which can sometimes seem like an impossible task, Um, but it can be done, especially with this awesome plan that Tara kind of introduced me to with just kind of getting started on the right foot and a reboot plan can help you get your classroom off on the right foot again and helping you be able to create a plan that you have in place to start the year and to continue the year on the right note. Yeah, it's so important when you really think about going back to school because how many kids really have no routine whatsoever? Probably most of them, right? I know like my kids got way off routine. And then you start getting families saying, well, you're going back to school in two weeks. You're going back to school in a week. Let's start getting into our bedtime routine. But it takes a, you're a while just for your body to adjust to like new sleeping patterns and things like that. So that's, again, that's like another whole nother roadblock when we talk about roadblocks later on down the road. But it's so important like starting off in that routine for so many of our kids and having those expectations and that structure once you get started. You can always pull back on it, right? But having that to start off in the beginning um, is so important to get the the year started off on the right foot. So having, having a plan and getting started. And I think the first thing you have to do is start with that reflection from the past school year, or maybe you're a new teacher and you haven't really had your own classroom, but just think back to your student teaching or your past classroom. What went really well? What might need improvements for this next upcoming school year? Um, So when I think about my past school year as an instructional coach, I am thinking back when we did a lot of lessons with executive functioning and blended learning and how that really did go really well. And it made a lot of um, the blended learning, the student ownership, it made a lot of those skills that students needed a lot easier in the classroom. And then looking back, I'm like, why didn't I think of this before? Why didn't we try some of these things because of how well it went? Um, When I think about improvement, I think I still need to improve in like student motivation and just getting students motivated um, and excited to continue to learn and really growing in those relationships. What about you, Tara, when you think back? Oh, reflection is one of the biggest learning opportunities you can have, right? We, We oftentimes don't like to think about the things that we did wrong. Um, We like to think about the things that we did right, but you know, failing forward is one of the biggest parts of reflection. So this I think is super important. I mean, like I, I reflect daily. I don't know about you, but I reflect 
daily on what I did, what I didn't do, what I should have done better, trying to make every day a new day. So for kids, um, you can reflect and improve your practice all the time. But this also might be really, when I think about it, a good activity to ask your students what went well with their relationship with their teacher last year? What didn't go well? Um, because finding out what they did or didn't like or what worked well for them and what didn't work well for them can really be huge in starting off the year right, right? If they know that, if you know that their teacher, um, I can't even think of an example right now, but if you know that their teacher was really, I don't know, corrective, right? All they did was correct. They said my name all the time. And every time they said my name, I was embarrassed about it. Well, we know that we don't want to be calling that student out. Some kids that might work for, but it, it works minimally, right? Um, to refocus. But we know right off the bat, let's not call this student out. Let's not keep calling their name because that is embarrasses them. That's not one of their strong points to have their name called out into the classroom. So right off the bat, you know something by just talking about that reflection from the year before. Yeah, and I think just that reflection is huge. And I love that you're gonna ask the students kind of what went well for you last year and what, what needed improvement from last year because i think just asking those two questions you can get a lot of information from your students just like you were saying um, which brings us on to our sops so sops stand for those standard operating procedures and that is kind of what is in place and what is expected from students and those procedures everything in life kind of has a procedure i feel like and when you go to the grocery store there's a procedure for um, what you're supposed to do when you check out and that kind of stuff. So thinking about your classroom, what do you expect when your students have to use the restroom? What are your expectations when they need a pencil? Um, thinking about all of these different procedures of what could happen <laughs> will help you um, be able to run a really smooth classroom. Yeah, I was, I was at a conference with adults this past week in Cleveland, and I was laughing my butt off um, because when the announcer was getting people quiet, he was, he was, clap if you hear my voice, clap twice if you hear my voice. And this was two adults. I was thinking, oh my gosh, we do this with our elementary kiddos. But just that and people started listening, right? They started transitioning back from their conversations. Um, and it, he used it throughout the conference. We would come off a break and he would do that and everybody knew, okay, let's get out of these adult conversations and get back into learning. So it was quite humorous, actually. I wanted to say something to him, but I never did. But it's just, that was the standing operating procedure of, we're coming back off of, a, off of a break or a new speaker is coming on. So let's quiet down. Let's refocus and get back to work. So those standing operating procedures are very important for our kiddos because they know right off the bat what the expectation is. And it could be a verbal expectation. It could be a, a nonverbal expectation. You know, maybe when I walk 
to a certain spot in the room and I hold up one finger, maybe that means you have one minute to quiet down until we get back and I don't ever have to say a word. But you teach that to kids and then they understand every time I'm standing in that place with my hand up, that means it's time to quiet down because we're working in one minute. So standing operating procedures can be very, very simple. They can be as simple as that, or you might have, you know, steps to turning in work that might require two or three steps. First, I need to make sure that I have my name on it. And then I need to check, you know, check to see all the questions are complete. And then I need to raise my hands and let the teacher know I'm getting off to go turn in my work. And then I need to turn it into a certain folder. So it can be, you know, we never really want to do more than five steps. We like to keep it at three, but not more than five steps for a standing operating procedure, or it could be just one. But and establishing those at the beginning is uh, most valuable to, to the control of your classroom. And I know for me, one of the roadblocks was I just assume kids knew the expectations when I taught and they don't. And so, for example, it might have been in Google Classroom. I expected them to click the turn in button when they were finished with an assignment and they wouldn't. And I was like, well, why aren't why aren't they doing that? Like, it's so easy. It's right in front of them. It says turn in, you know, when they're done. Um, but you have to teach them everything. You have to teach them those little things, the big things and everything in between. And so that was a big weakness of mine is just kind of assuming that kids knew how to do stuff but you really do have to talk about it and you have to explain it and walk through it the first couple times, um, which can take more time, but it will save you more time in the long run. And you brought up a really good point right there. It's not only, um, it's not only standing operating procedures for the classroom, but also digital awareness, right? What are our standing operating procedures for are did the digital programs that we're using, whatever learning management systems that you're using within your classroom. Um, our, our district's a Google district, you might not be, so whatever system that is, what are your standing operating procedures? And you might have some kids that are very knowledgeable um, and, and have that background and don't really need it and they know, but you might have some kids that have come from a different classroom and maybe they haven't, all last year, the teacher they had didn't use that system, so they needed to be reminded. Um, or whatever the case is, Not at, or you might have a kid that has moved in from another district. So getting everybody on the same page, even if it's review for some kids, vitally important. Yeah, and the same with video too. Like, I just remember, I'm like, why aren't the kids pausing and taking notes throughout this video? Because I didn't teach them. I didn't teach them that expectation. I didn't teach them that procedure when they watch videos. And so when I did teach students, hey, this is how you pause a video. This is how you take notes. They started to engage more in their learning, um, which was really exciting and which leads us to review games. And so again, those procedures are not just one and done. <laughs> you have to kind of keep them coming and review them often. Um, so I like to review them whenever um, we are going over that procedure. I like to do it with the students and model it with them, but also through review games. 
So review games can be fun. I've seen teachers use scavenger hunts in their classroom of just like, how do you check out the book? And then the students actually go and do that scavenger hunt activity. Um, another review game is maybe putting your um, standard operating procedures in a game like quizzes, Kahoot, uh, GimKit, and then the students are able to play those games and you can kind of see their scores um, go up as they learn the procedures as well. Yeah, and there's a quote somewhere, I can't remember who it, who it is, but um, they quoted, life is more fun if you play games, right? So this is also not only about, you know, reviewing those standing operating procedures, but this becomes like another way to connect with your students in the beginning. So having, having that game aspect could be comp a pet competitive game. It could be, could be just something to review. It could be something as simple as the stand up, sit down. Stand up if it's true, sit down if it's false. And you throw some true false questions about the standing operating procedures or those digital games like Steph was playing, saying. But the important piece is, is that there are games, right? There are ways to review and it doesn't have to be a game necessarily, but that adds a little bit of a fun component to it. Um, but the review piece, we don't teach reading one week and then never go back and teach that skill again. We're constantly reviewing it, right? If we're, we're teaching math, we don't teach a concept and then move on and never go back to it again. We have to constantly be providing those kids that review piece of it um, to get them back into routine and remembering what those expectations are. Yeah, and I think sometimes, too, when you make it a game, maybe it's even the first five students to have their pencil ready or whatever the procedure is, get some type of points or rewards. You could do it that way as well, or you could do groups. Um, but again, games can just motivate your students uh, to keep going and they learn usually the procedure faster when you add it to a game as well, um, because it's that fun, it's competitive, um, and then they're able to continuously learn through games. Motivation can be really challenging throughout the year. And so this is a great way that you want to survey your students and we have a reboot class that has a ton of templates. I feel like there's more than eight surveys about motivation. Uh, oh, um, for sure there is. <laughs> um, but there are so many different ways that you can learn about your students. Um, maybe it's just where they are typing back and forth um, through a Google form of what kind of motivates them or what they're excited about for the school year, what their favorite candy is, um, subjects like that. Or... Motivation, where it's that forced choice survey, which is one of my favorites because it's kind of like a would you rather. Uh, so students just kind of quickly choose between two choices. And then our friend Luis created this magical spreadsheet that formulates and calculates those motivations uh, to let you know what motivates the student. Is it peers? Is it um, adult approval? Is it consumables? What is it exactly that motivates that student? And having that result, you might not need it in August, but you're going to need it in October or I'm going to need it in October when I'm like, okay, what motivates this student? Why are, why are we struggling? And then I can look back at that survey to see what I need to do. 
I love the surveys. Um, you know, what what do they want to work for? Do they are they motivated by interaction with their peers? Are they motivated by a piece of candy? I love Steph's story about the when she talks about how she was giving her class candy and thought that they were motivated and they weren't motivated by candy at all. Um, so making sure that you have those right motivators. And one that's really not in the survey I like to think about is um, when you surround yourself with people that believe in you, that is motivating. So wrap your head around that for a second. If you just choose to believe in your kids and they know that you believe in them, they're going to work harder for you. That's motivating in itself. When you have people behind you helping you through your struggles and knowing and, you know, not giving up on you if something is a challenge, um, just by believing in your kids and letting your kids know that you believe in them. And if they said, maybe in their reflection, they said, last year was really hard for me. Um, when we were doing social studies because some of the language I didn't understand. And you believe in them and say, you know what? I know that was a struggle for you, but I believe that this year we're going to get there. I'm going to help you get there. I believe in you. Like that believing in kiddos goes a really, really long way. So, you know, just surround them with belief. It's just another big motivator that's really not in any survey that you can find. Yeah. And I mean, motivation, I think can be difficult, but it doesn't have to be when you do these surveys, when you're able to look at it and really get to know those students as well. Uh, that, that can really help you with that motivation and helping the students again, when, when school does get tough or when we do get into October and that honeymoon's over, um, what are we going to do? And so looking back at that can help you know, okay, I need to focus on this to motivate my students. And that's also just building relationship capital is the next one that we're talking about. Um, we wrote a blog, blog article about building relationship capital with teachers through coaching. Um, but there's so much, right? There's so much in regards to relationship capital. And I think people you know, talk about relationships, relationships. I'm sure that you've heard it over and over again. But what are different ways, Steph, that that you use to build relationship capital with your kiddos? Yeah, one way um, is just quickly in the morning. I like to do morning meetings, which is about 10, 15 minutes uh, to start the day. And it's just asking kids fun questions. Um, it could be a would you rather uh, one activity I did during summer school that the kids absolutely loved was I had different pictures of food, movies, video games, and they had to pick one, one that was their favorite out of that um, list of six different options. So like six different cookies. They had like double chocolate chip. They had chocolate chip. They had sugar cookies, snickerdoodles. And so then the kids had to pick which one was their favorite out of that list. And then it just brought more conversation. So they would pick one, but then the conversation just kept going. Um, I used Pear Deck for that activity. So I put like interactive slides so the students could move their little dot to how they were feeling. And then I could go, okay, who, who said this? And, and why do you like to vacation in the mountains? Or why do you like to vacation on the beach? 
And then you could just have that conversation with them about a memory that popped up or um, the reason that they love chocolate chip cookies is because their grandma makes it with them on a Saturday or whatever. Um, so you really start to learn more from those fun, silly questions. And I think just to take a step back, when you think about relationship capital, right? When the time comes that you do have to make a correction or you do have to provide a student feedback or there's something going on with the student and you have to provide them maybe some feedback that they wouldn't necessarily like. If you haven't built that relationship capital, um, that feedback or that correction or whatever it is might not be as accepted very well. When you think of it like a bank, right? If you don't put money in the bank and you go to take money out of the bank, what happens? You go into the negative, right? Because you try to take money out and there's nothing there to take out. But not only that, then you get even more negative because the bank charges you. So now you're even more negative than you were before if you would have just put money in the bank to begin with. So same with kiddos, right? You're building this relationship capital. You put money in the bank. You build that relationship. So then when you have to take money out of the bank, you can because there's money there. So it doesn't go into the negative. The key component is once you build that relationship, you have to make sure that you continue to build the relationship, right? That you continue to maintain the bank account per se. Because if if you keep taking bills out, right? If you don't keep putting money back in, you'll go back to the same situation of the negative. So you have to continue to add money or relationship capital as you move along because whenever you provide that feedback or whatever that might not be as positive or it's correction or it's feedback or whatever, you still have money in the bank. So keep up with the relationship capital. It's not just building the relationship, but it's maintaining it. And that's sometimes where we fall off, right? We work really hard at building that relationship in the beginning. And then what happens? It falls off. So make sure that you build it and maintain it. One of the things I know that, um, you know, just little notes, leaving a post-it on a desk for a student. Um, I used to like to do that. Maybe when they would come in off of weekends, I would leave a post-it note on each of their desks. Or sometimes on a Friday, I would leave it. We can't do that all the time because we'd be constantly writing post-its. But that was a great way to build relationship capital. I see you working and you just, I see how hard you're working and I appreciate how hard you're working. And I leave it on their desk. So they come in, when they come into class, that post-it is there. Um, little things like that, that really take nothing. They cost nothing. Nothing's coming out of our pocket except for a post-it, which hopefully you'll get from your school. But um, just just little ways to remind the kiddos that that you're there and you're supporting them. Yeah, I think that's just a great idea is either post-its, you know, just quickly writing students a note or just kind of sending them a quick email. Hey, how did it how'd your day go? I know you were, had a really rough morning. 
um, did you turn it around if you have them in multiple different classes? Um, but just, again, reaching out to students, getting to know them can really help. But we do know that there are some roadblocks when it comes to the beginning of the school year and, and getting off to the right foot. Um, I know for me, I would really focus on procedures and expectations week one. But then after week one, it kind of stopped. And so you've got to keep these activities ongoing. And just a quick reminder again, like time is another roadblock. But <clears throat> with ongoing activities, it will get faster. So when you are like, okay, just a reminder, uh, if you don't have a pencil, this was the procedure, going over it really quickly, we'll just remind students of what to do. Or, hey, we're going to log into um, this website, but you have to go here first. Like just walking students through those reminders can really help as well too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that roadblock of time, that's, that's probably one of the biggest roadblocks when we think about it, because you're like, mm -hmm. okay, how do I have time to teach the curriculum? How do I time, have time to maintain the relationship? How do I have time to then continue with your SOPs um, and review games? And how do I have time for iReady and uh, motivation surveys and all of it? But your we know that your time is limited. So find the things that are most important in the beginning of the year and kind of prioritize them and figure it out. I mean, there's time is our most valuable commodity and it's what everybody fights for, whether it's professional development, it's, you know, um, assessment, it's whatever you can think of in your world. Um, but it's not about having time, right? It's about making time in places. It doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be a long amount of time that you do a review game or a long amount of time that you do a reflection or relationship building. Like simplify it. Um, you know, if you want to send a note in Google Classroom, you can pick several students and send them all you know, some kind of positive note, or you can do the post-its, whatever it is. But it's about, you know, making effective use of the time that you have and integrating it in little ways. And it doesn't have to be a lot. A, a kid will truly appreciate, even if they don't say it, the fact that you took the time to put, you know, a 30-second post-it note on onto their desk. So break down the barriers um, of time and interweave those things throughout your day. Yeah, def <clears throat> definitely with time, it's, it's probably a huge barrier, but doing those small things um, will add up. So maybe if you focus on maybe five students a week and then change those students and keep on changing them throughout the year, um, you'll be able to build up those relationships as well. Another issue is assessments. I know for a lot of teacher pre-assessments come up quickly in the school year. Um, we've got different diagnostic testing. We have different assessments just to know where students are. And so because of that, that can take away some of these um, procedures or expectations for our students just because they do have to do these pre-assessments. Um, but I think still, going over with them after they finish that assessment, even going over the procedure when they take an assessment so they know later in the school year what is expected. 
Yeah. And um, you're right. There's, there's so many assessments at the beginning of the year. I, I be, be honest, I'm really despise all the assessments that we have to do at the beginning of the year. But I also know that that helps guide us um, as well. I, I'm not a fan of standardized testing, but the pre-assessments in the beginning of the year helps to let us see where the kids are so that we can help structure our day and support those students in the best way we can. So we can't get around those, right? Those are all all things that are non-negotiables. So then just figuring out um, little ways within to, to make sure that we are meeting their needs. The last thing that we have is one of the roadblocks is, you know, assuming kids know how to do things. Um, I would like to say the quote, we know what assuming means. I'm sure everybody knows that fine quote, but I won't say it out loud since we're on the clean version. Um, but that's really what happens. We talked about that earlier. If you assume that your kids just know things, you're going to have issues. There, there will be chaos in your classroom if you just come to the assumption that they just know, because they're not everybody's at the same place. Not everybody's, you know, come from the same classroom, come from the same district. We talked about that earlier. So we just need to make sure that we don't assume anything. Um, I know one time I, you know, you talked about that, that you just assumed kids would submit their work. And then you had a bunch of kids not submitting their work. Um, I think I, my first time in junior high, I didn't really grasp what, where they came from in the sixth grade. So in the first week of school, when my seventh graders had no idea how to open up a locker, I myself was completely frustrated with the fact that nobody knew how to open up a locker. And in my head, I didn't think about sixth grade not having lockers. So I got frustrated with the kids like, you guys need to figure this out. We're a week into school and you don't know how to open up your locker yet. Um, so I got frustrated. They, in turn, my mindset and my frustration then was causing them to be a little bit more frustrated. They were already frustrated. So it just caused this big frustration between me and the students because I assumed that they would just know how to open up a locker. But darn it, lockers are tough when you've never learned it. They don't have that muscle memory. So anyway, that was my first experience with opening lockers with kids and assuming that they knew things and and it wasn't good for anybody. I was frustrated in that first week of school. Yeah, and I think that's so funny because it's true. We get upset or frustrated when people, even adults, we just assume that they know things, but they don't. And so we do have to go over expectations with everybody and what we expect and kind of just laying down that work can be really helpful throughout the whole school year. Which brings us to our action item. Um, we have a behavior reboot and reset course. 
and you are able to sign up for this course. It has so many different activities, some of the ideas that we talked about in today's podcast, but more. Um, you're able to go in, you're able to really reflect, you're able to create, see other procedures. You're able to see those motivation surveys that we were talking about. You're able to explore and use and customize examples for your own classroom. And then you're able to create your own reboot and reset plan. We also have an example of a week, eight week plan where you are able to see what does this look like from week one, but keeping this ongoing throughout the year um, with a quick, quick sneak peek of just like eight weeks, but you're able to keep that going throughout. Um, so again, check out the show notes for that link to register for that course. Um, it's a really great one to start your year, but also if you're listening to this at a later time, there's that reset. So reboot is at the beginning of the school year where that reset can be done really any time. We kind of suggest January, but again, it can be done after an extended break like Thanksgiving. It can be done um, <clears throat> October if you're just like, this is really hard. Um, so again, just check out that course for more information and more examples. Oh, and I just want to note this. We did a course last year for standing operating procedures and started with about 30 people or so in the course. And some of our best feedback was that we almost had too many resources that they, some of the staff were a little bit overwhelmed. Um, so we have reflected on our own practice of, of providing courses, not to be too overwhelming and have as, I mean, tone it down just a little bit, right? Um, so that we make it a little bit more um, focused. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had so much stuff. I mean, it was amazing. Like, I loved it because I was like, ooh, let's check out this. this. But I realized um, that not everybody, <laughs> I knew what was going on. Not everybody does. So or, I mean, everybody knows. I, I don't mean to say nobody knows what's going on, but there was a nobody lot of stuff. The organization in our brain. Right. Our brains. What we did is we took those courses and we split them into other mini courses. So one yeah. big course became four courses. Um, <laughs> we do have a lot of different resources for teachers. Um, so now that is just one single course, even though that was in the larger course. We um, controlled our own chaos in that situation for sure. <laughs> um, but you only learn from going forward and failing. Um, so make sure if you are looking for a reboot or reset, you do check out that course um, and you're able to create a plan. And then if you want feedback on anything, you are able to reach out to Tara or myself. And we can look over your plan and say, hey, have you thought about this? Or, hey, I, I really like that idea. Um, so, again, if you are looking for feedback on that plan in that course, you are able to get that feedback by just when you're done with creating that plan, you'll just send us an email. And we can kind of look it over and talk it through with you. All right. As Jim Rohn once said, either you run the day or the day runs you. So until next time, control the chaos. Thanks for listening to Control the Chaos EDU. Check out the description for show notes. We look forward to connecting with you on social media. Subscribe to the weekly podcast so you never miss an episode. Control the chaos until next time.